So you said 40th high school reunion coming up? Yes. This summer? Yes, September. Have you guys routinely had like every five years? Yes, but I haven't been. I went to the five-year, which is a waste of time. Yeah. Um. Then I went to 25, I think. Okay. Which was interesting. Was not going to go to 40 and then got talked into it. Okay. So you've been out of high school 40 years. Mm-hmm. Are you Doogie Hauser? Because <laughs> you look like you've been out of high school for maybe 20, 25. That's very sweet. Wow. I'm not Doogie Hauser. It's the headphones. They're pulling my oh, is it? pulling my, <laughs> my face back. Can I borrow these headphones? They're like a natural <laughs> head li- or a facelift. Yeah, there's a uh, cocktail hour or a happy hour or something the night before than the actual reunion. Yeah. I'm thinking I might hit the happy hour and we'll see how it goes. Decide on the next. On the actual yeah, I, We had a five year and that, like, not much has changed because it was just a party and we all hung out and drank and whatever. Mm-hmm. Then we did a 10. I don't know if we did a 15. We did a 20. And I think we did a 25. So. That that's when twenty and twenty five when things start changing. Yeah, I had in. Uh, I was just talking to somebody about this yesterday. I hadn't even thought about people that had died, or like right. they couldn't find like missing people. There was like a whole table, and I was like, oh, I didn't even hadn't even thought about that. So that was kind of weird. Yeah. Did you go to a big high school or sp- huge? Okay. Yeah. So how many roughly in your graduating class? Three hundred and eighty something. Okay. So bigger, but not yeah. Okay. Yep. I had 119, I think, in my graduating class. Uh-huh. Whereas my oh, wife yeah. went to, she went to North Central. And oh, I think okay. she had like 800 or 1,000 in her class. Yeah. Yeah. That's, no, that's weird. Yeah. It was big. I transferred middle of seventh grade from sort of a not very diverse, small, kind of clicky school to the big public school. Very diverse. Probably three times as big. And it was the best thing ever. I yeah. loved it. More real world. More, yeah. Lots of different kinds of friends and different groups. And I really enjoyed it a lot, actually. So we'll see. It's going to be interesting. I'm actually, what was the name of the high school? Ottawa Hills. Ottawa Hills. Okay. Ottawa Hills High School. We used to be the Indians. We're not that anymore. I don't know what we are now. I don't know what we are now. Might want to Google that before the reunion. <laughs> I don't think there'll be a quiz to get in or anything. The fight song has now changed. <laughs> I can still do all the cheerleading things to the fight oh song. Oh, boy. Ma'am, did you graduate from this high school? I don't know. I'm just here for the drink tickets. Right. <laughs> Looked like nice people. <laughs> Where in GR is Ottawa Hills? It is on uh, the southeast side. It's southeast. on Burton. Okay. Yep. So when you head up there, today you might want to do a drive-by. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll, well, I probably shouldn't use the term drive-by, but no. yeah. <laughs> It'll be you can drive night. by to see. Right. How yeah. often do you get back to Grand Rapids? Um, Very often. Pretty or? often. My sister oh. and her family are still there. So um, I was just up there a couple weeks ago. Okay. I mean, it's not changed at all in the last 40 years. So It's so much better. We were actually talking about that um, right. before we started. It was so boring and small when I grew up there. Now I go back. I'm like, where was all this when I was looking for some place to have fun, yeah. you know? But That's what I mentioned was, I think it's, for anybody who's never been there, when you pull into downtown, it, it's a little surprising. Like, you don't think it's as big as it really is. Yeah. It's yep. grand. It is grand. And, and there are rapids on the river. Exactly. And it's 40 minutes from Lake Michigan. So right. it's hard to complain, really, as yeah. a kid. We spent a lot of time at the beach. So, yep. So as a kid, what all what all went down at the beach? The usual <laughs> um, kid stuff. I mean, have you not heard the Kid Rock song? <laughs> well, <laughs> true. 
Uh, that was the one song he had, I think. There was a lot of, uh, you know, hanging That's out. Where memories were made. That's where memories are made. That's exactly <laughs> right. There's a cool, uh, still there, a bar restaurant called the Bill Mar. That was a big hangout. Yeah. Yep. So it was just a place to, you know, kids hang out at Starbucks now to talk and do whatever and we hang out at the beach. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. That was great. It yeah. really was. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Industrious Podcast. Thank you all for joining us from wherever you get your podcasts, or if you're on the Assessor YouTube channel, thank you for tuning in. Uh, also, if you happen to be on the YouTube channel and you haven't hit the subscription button or the little notification icon, please feel free to do that. Absolutely free, won't cost you a thing, so please get on that if you haven't done so already. All right, welcome, Brooke Crossley, to the Industrious Podcast. Thanks, it's good to be here. Why don't you fill everybody in on what it is that Brooke Crosley does? Okay. Um, I, I was going to talk like Elmo. Brooke Crosley, third person. Um, I own a company called Crosley Inc. that does sales and leadership coaching for organizations. Going into my, I'm in my ninth year, so it'll be 10 years in 2024. Um, work with companies all around our area and across the U.S. And uh, really enjoy what I get the privilege to do. Um safe assumption, but you get exposed to a lot of different industries, a lot of different businesses. Yes. Um, is there any niche that you feel like you fall into or is it it's run the gamut? It's a great question. I think, um, you know, when you do networking and things and people are like, so tell me who you want to meet and tell me what companies you want to get into. I've never looked at my business that way. I'm like, if you know anybody that runs a people-centered business and really likes their people and thinks that continuous development is just a thing that happens, not a not a gift you give people or something you check off a list, they're probably my people. So not necessarily a niche. It's more of yeah. a cultural thing or more of a way of being yeah. that is a fit for me. So you like people? I do like wow. people. It's refreshing. Most <laughs> most days. <laughs> not like a 100%. How about today? Yeah, no, I'm just just starting out. There's still <laughs> yeah. time. Only got... Quarter of my coffee gone. Give Perfect. me a minute. Right. No, I do like people. I like um, the human part of business. I think I love business. I think business is fascinating. And I think processes are important. And I think all of that stuff matters. But people make the processes go. And people communicate all the things. And so I like the people part of it. Yeah. So I have when a question. You, Sorry, interrupt. So you, you mentioned your intro, leadership and sales and leadership, mm -hmm. like peeling the onion a little bit and drilling down. Can you get a little bit more specific on the on what that means. Sure. Like, like, you know, from a client standpoint, what do you generally run into? Um, usually I'm brought in for a very specific ailment. So we're not communicating. We're not selling enough things. We have a bunch of young leaders. Um, our leadership team doesn't like each other. Very specific. And it turns into really um, a lot of mindset stuff. Like, how do you think about each other? How do you think about your business? How do you think about yourself in your role? And then it's all communication and really just can't we just not be jackasses to each other? I mean, so it sounds like a lot of therapy, essentially. It, um, you know, it used to bother me when people would say that, but it kind of is a form of therapy. Mm -hmm. um, I think the whole the whole person matters. And so 
you know, we were talking, Joe, you know, ran into traffic this morning. And so you were in a certain mindset when you get here. And I think you need to talk about that before you start. So what are we going to talk about today? Let's talk about leadership. And but I mean, you've got to let people kind of get to where you are. Mm -hmm. So I like the whole person. Graduated from Ottawa Hills and GR. I did. Then where? Um, went right to work. Okay. I'm not a college graduate. Okay. So my question is, what at what point in your career did you say, okay, I'm I'm going out on my own? Do you become industrious and said, I'm gonna do my own thing? This was never a plan. I never felt like I was an entrepreneurial person. I'm a creative. Um I really like to work. Um my dad used to say I'm a blue collar girl in a white collar world. I really like to work. I think I had three jobs until I was 30 something. <laughs> um, and I got into a sales role from an, I started in um, logistics and the operations side of the business and really loved it. It was problem solving and it was fast paced and it was just all the ugly stuff that nobody else wanted to deal with. And I really loved like figuring that out. And through that met um, a woman named Kathy Langham, who owns Langham yep. Logistics, and she saw something in me that thought could be a salesperson. And at first I was like a little offended because my idea of salespeople was like, hey, you know, and I thought, really? <laughs> kind of like <clears throat> greasy, right. slimy kind of, yeah. Right. So slightly insulted until I got to know her and um, went to work for her on a whim, really, like, oh, I'll try it. And uh, she enrolled us in sales training. And I was in sales training um, for six or seven years on and off every other Friday. Uh, went to actually work for that company um, doing sales coaching, which was another sort of, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to jump because I think it's kind of fun to figure it out. And then after almost nine years there, I went through a divorce and just really had some things that I wanted to explore and add to what I was doing and wanted to do that on my own terms. And so I don't know, I guess I was in the process of blowing up my life. So why not blow up all of it <laughs> there you go. and start your own business? It's funny. I was so blissfully ignorant. I think I just thought, well, I saved enough money. And if nobody comes with me, then I'll be okay until I find a client. And like I said, I, I know how to pay my bills. Like I'm okay working at Starbucks, you know, 80 hours a week if I have to, to pay my bills. So I wasn't really worried about that. Wasn't until probably three years into my business, a woman said to me, so did you think about like starting a second career so late in your life? And I was like, what? <laughs> I, no, I had not thought about that. I'm glad I didn't talk to you when I was right. in the process of doing that because I probably would have been scared, but it's all worked out. Right. It's been great, actually. It's fun. Jerry Maguire moment. Yes. You and the goldfish. <laughs> freak out but, you know i think if you would have, for every person like her who said did you ever think about doing this so late in life mm -hmm. there'd be another person who has said why the f not right why does it matter whether you're 20 or 50 just do it right well really what you asked a very specific question what kind of tilted the yeah um i had a coach i was in a peer group um when i was at the other firm and i was talking to her and I was just in this place of, un I just felt unsettled and just kind of, ugh, I don't know how else to describe it. And I said, I really don't know what I want to do. And she said, you could stay there. You're doing well there and just keep building their brand. And, you know, for the next 20 years, just keep building their brand. 
And I was like, I see what you did there. You're messing with, you're doing Jedi mind tricks on me. I don't, why would I want to build somebody else's brand forever? Yeah. I don't know. That really spoke to me. And that was kind of the deciding, the thing that tipped it over. We were talking about specifics. Um, when you start meeting with a client, do you, do you focus on any one area in particular? Or does it depend on maybe the issue that they bring to the table? Kind of depends on the issue they bring to the table. It's interesting because it's kind of like when you go to the doctor, you think you know what's wrong, and then they start talking, and you're like, oh, wait, it's something totally different. Um, usually it starts with leadership. I like small to mid-sized privately held companies because I like to be able to talk to the people that can make a decision and make a difference and kind of create the culture of the organization. Mm. Um, they're usually in the room, and I say, so what's – you know, what are you really good at? What could be better? What do you, what stresses you out? What And there's usually a little bit of why they brought me in, and then it turns into something else. At the end of the day, it's all, almost all goes into a communication bucket. Almost all of it. 99.9% yeah. of it is communication. So how do you, going into the little theme here, how do you then get them to be uncomfortable to um, un, not unravel, but to provide that the, the proper feedback so you can properly diagnose what's going on? Um, they're usually uncomfortable the minute they say yes to hiring me. Honestly, people get a little twitchy, <clears throat> which is fine. Um, I, I'm really careful. I mean, being uncomfortable is a big part of what I do, helping people to be uncomfortable. Um, but I have a sort of a saying, I want you to be slightly uncomfortable. I don't want you to be so uncomfortable that you freak out. Because right. if, if you freak out, I'm never going to get you back. And so it's really building trust. It's like any relationship. You know, you have to build trust. You start asking questions. You listen to them. And then you just poke at what they say a little bit. Because um, I think, too, it's patience. And that uh, has been a big lesson for me because I wanted to make an impact right away. Sort of, let me show you that I'm valuable and worthy of being inside your business mm -hmm. and talking to your people. And now I'm realizing that it's really, it's being patient. Because yeah. you can't, I don't want to. I don't want it to be something I do to people. I want them to. I want us to be doing something together. Um, I also heard a great quote um, from a gentleman that I met right after I started my business, and he said, "It's really better to help people draw their own conclusions because people rarely argue with their own conclusions." So I got. I think I've gotten a lot better at asking questions and not telling people what they need. Being more of a listener than a fixer. <clears throat> yeah. And asking hard questions. And nothing makes me happier than when I ask a question and somebody goes, huh, I don't know. Never thought about that. And it's like, ding, 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 ding. Like the, the, you know, you've hit the golden nugget there. So, right. In that vein of being a listener versus a fixer, what, when, you know, you're, you're going through a litany of questions, trying to get people to open up and, and, and kind of find out root cause of whatever an issue may be within an organization. What are some of the pitfalls of that? People don't want to tell you or they tell you what they think you want to hear or um, they tell you and then they back off of it, but it's really not that bad. You know, when I, now that I'm talking about it, it's really not that bad, but it's probably not that big of a deal. Um, people are complicated and, you know, if you own it, you guys know, you own a business, you're, a lot of your ego's tied up in that. I know mine is when people, you know, want to ask me questions about, well, why'd you do that? I get a little, excuse me. Um, and so people, it's a fine line. It's like talking about their kids to a certain extent. So 
pitfall is sometimes you ask a question that sets you back. Sometimes you lose people. I mean, I've, um, we were just talking about a client of mine that I'm not going to say where they're at. Cause if they happen to listen to this, they'll know who they are. They won't. Um, <laughs> they won't listen to it. No, not at all. Um, <clears throat> they are a family owned business and their leadership team. I mean, the first time I visited with them, I asked one question and it went into swearing and crying and I have to go out and smoke. And I mean, every 20 minutes, somebody was losing their stuff. Like, and I thought, I will never come back here. I will never be invited back here. Who would invite me back after this? And it was probably eight months and I got the call. We need you to come back in. And it was like that for probably a year and a half. Painful. And then I honestly, I don't know what the answer is to what changed, but now it's seven years later and we're still working together and they are doing incredible things. They've really done hard work and are really killing it. It's pretty fun, pretty cool to see. Brings a tear to my eye, actually, sometimes when I talk to them. So what was that turning point then, you think? <clears throat> I think that they uh, kind of got tired of themselves, like the ugliness of it. It takes so much energy to be that dysfunctional <laughs> and ugly. I mean, it was ugly. And I, they all have, what's cool about it is they all have passion for the business. They might not all agree with how each of them operates or how they run the business or how they do their role inside the business, but they all have passion for the business. And I think when they could get over themselves and, you know, remember that they love their business and they want the business to be successful and they loved the people in their business and they could see that the people were suffering and suffering is a strong word, but it was suffering. I mean, it was, it was bad. Um, again, just asking a lot of questions. I think I just, I think the last question I asked before they invited me back was like, is this okay with you guys? Like, what's going on in here today? Is this, is this okay? Because if it is, that's, you know, it's up to you, but I probably will not participate in this. Um, and they just kind of looked at me, just pecked up my things and got my rental and, you know, got out of there as fast as I could. Yeah. And for whatever reason, went back. I think my gut was like, there's something there. They're good people. They're really good human beings. They're just lost. So leaving this business anonymous, but the king on the fact that it's a, you said it's a family owned, family run business. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, when you, you, you mentioned you prefer small to mid-sized businesses because a lot of the people that you're directly working with are the people that make the decisions, uh, or have a strong influence in making the decisions. Yes. Um, in, in that, in that range of small to medium-sized businesses, a lot of them are family-owned. Yes. Um, that's sort of fabric of America, family-owned businesses. Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of want to stick on that for a moment. How many of their issues, it's, you know, using this as this case as an example, mm -hmm. how many of their issues were living room-oriented versus boardroom or conference room-oriented that sort of got dragged through the, the front door of the office that needed to be worked out? 95%. Yeah. Of that one. Um, I work with a lot of small family-owned business. And it, I mean, it's your family. It's going to show up. I mean, all of us bring our stuff anyway, whether you work in a family-owned business or not. We all bring our stuff. And your stuff comes from your life, not necessarily your work life. So a large percentage of it was. And we that was a really hard conversation. You guys cannot bring, you know, the fact that daddy loves Susie more when she was 10 than you. The other people on your leadership team do not want to witness that conversation. And that's way above my pay grade. Like, we're not doing that. So you can either choose to leave it at the door or 
go fix, go work on that. And then we'll kind of bring everybody together. So we did with that particular, we worked with the family for a couple of years before we ever brought the rest of the leadership ship, excuse me, leadership team in. Um, because it just, they don't need to see that. They would have lost some really good people had they been witness to that. And I've seen it a lot of privately held, you know, single person privately held business brings their stuff. I mean, we all do. So it's always a large percentage of it. Right. Mm-hmm. I guess you had to find that what's, I don't want to say tolerable is probably not a good enough or acceptable level of when you walk in the front door of work, whatever you have going on outside of work, you, you check that at the door because we're here to do our job, to be accountable, to do our best for the mission of the business, which mm-hmm. ultimately, generally, if, if and if you mean this sincerely, is the impact on your customer, your client. Right. But it, that's that's black and white and the, and the world isn't such. And that, you know, talk about uncomfortable. A lot of the leaders I work with are like, I just, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to hear about, you know, Susie's, problems with her husband at home, like, well, you might not want to hear about it, but it's happening. Mm-hmm. And not acknowledging it is only making it worse because she's overcompensating for whatever. So it's a fine line between like, okay, what's going on? What's the plan to work to work while that's going on? And how do we support you while that's going on while not allowing you to go rogue while right. you're, you know, sideways in your personal life? And that's a that's a really uncomfortable place for everybody, Susie included, you know, but. And you just referenced, you used the word sideways, which made me think of the movie Sideways. And I love that movie, but about everything that Paul Giamatti does in that movie makes me uncomfortable. Uh-huh. Like squeamish on the inside. <laughs> oh. Yes. <laughs> well, I guess with our theme of being uncomfortable, um, are there any particular um exercises that you do with clients to to get them to be uncomfortable? Um, I like to ask them the question, what yeah. does it mean, what what feels uncomfortable to you or what does it mean for you to be uncomfortable? Because there's, I mean, everybody has a different threshold, right? Um, I kind of like being uncomfortable. I like being challenged. I like being made to think a little bit. Um, so my level might be, I might have a, much higher tolerance level than someone else. And so it's asking the question sometimes. Um, sometimes I'll, I'll communicate it as where, when do you feel stressed at work? You know, what are some of the things that happen that you don't feel like you know what to do? You don't know what to say. Um, it's really just getting to know people and people will tell you, you know, coaching is really just being willing to share all the ways that you've screwed up so that other people feel comfortable sharing all the ways that they've screwed Right. I mean, that's really... Out, yeah, that's you're really trying to figure out is. the way to pull the string and then let go and, and right. sit back and listen. And Yeah, and at some point, if people aren't willing to share, you know, I often ask the question, like, remind me why I'm here, because by now there should be something else happening here, and it's not, and that's okay, but I'm not sure this makes sense. And then usually, usually that will trigger something more. Or sometimes they're like, you're right, I'm not ready for this, or I don't think we need it, or whatever, and we end. That's yeah. okay. So there's a singular, if that's even possible, a singular piece of advice you would give to someone. Hmm. Um, what would that be? Maybe in that realm of being uncomfortable. Singular. Hmm. 
And if there's a couple, that's fine. Well, I was just, I will tell you that I spent a lot of my life being afraid to look stupid or being afraid to try new things that I didn't, wasn't sure I would be good at. And I realized how much of life I missed out on. So I would, my singular piece of advice would be to just think of one little thing that you could do that would push you just a little bit and maybe be something that would make you uncomfortable and just do it. I think two people are, um, you know, it has to be this big, like, okay, Brooke, you want me to be uncomfortable? I'm going to go climb Mount Kilimanjaro. It's like, no, that's not what I said. <laughs> like, think of little micro behavior things that you can do day in and day out that would, I don't know, that would just shake up your life a little bit and cause you to have a different way of thinking about something or seeing the world. It's amazing how doing small adjustments that scare you a little bit really build your confidence. And so to me, it's find small things that you can sustain doing over a period of time um, that make you a little bit uncomfortable. Fair enough. Good example. Um, sure. Or is there an example out there that maybe a client did okay. that you felt that ended up working out really well for them? Um, I have a client that is uh, a dude. And he's a dude. Like, um, and we were at a one-on-one -on -one and I was sharing some um, pretty personal stuff um, about a relationship that I had ended. And it was not, it was a very toxic relationship. And we were talking about that. And he just kind of sat there and like, thanks for sharing that with me. And um, he didn't say much. And then a couple of days later, I got a text from him on a Sunday that said, thanks for sharing all that you shared. It, gave me the freedom to talk to his boss about something that was going on in his life that was causing issues at work. I mean, I was not comfortable having the conversation I was having and I didn't just start sharing. It was a, it made sense. It was relevant to the conversation we were having, but something like that, like just opening himself up and sharing something he probably normally would not share. That's the stuff that makes what I do awesome. Especially when it was somewhat unsolicited. Right. Yeah. Yeah. On a Sunday. Yeah. It was nice. It was good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any, any parting um, recommendations for our listeners? If you don't know what makes you uncomfortable, and this actually makes most people uncomfortable, <laughs> I would encourage you to sit for a period of time as long as you can stand to sit. And I know that's a big ask for a lot of people. But I started figuring out what made me uncomfortable by just sitting in silence for maybe an hour, like on my patio with a cup of coffee, like just sitting and letting your mind just go. Um, and you start to think about like where you're stuck. And to me, uncomfortable and stuck are kind of the same, kind of the same thing. But even just the act of sitting there for an hour without my phone, without music in my ears, without something going on around me, um, I would highly recommend it. You'd Every bit of that sounds amazing right now. Does it? Oh, yeah. An hour of silence? Go do it. Yeah. Go do it. So but even how... asking people to do that, sometimes there's like an hour. I'm like, well, do five minutes. <laughs> right. Like, if you can do five minutes, do five minutes. So is you mentioned being stuck. Um, how do people get unstuck? <laughs> you know, like Wayne, in your experience, you talked about getting people to get uncomfortable, getting people to, to be willing to answer 
uncomfortable or challenging questions mm -hmm. and that that ultimately lead to more questions and more answers and, and then suddenly you you get to you know that route that you're looking for uh how, how do people get out of neutral it's a great question i think um one you have to admit that you're stuck um two i think it's really it's not anything anybody else can do for you i found um I think that the discomfort of being where you're at has to outweigh the discomfort or the thought of doing something different. And then you'll do something different. Um, but I've worked with a lot of people that say they're ready and they're not ready. And that's okay. Sometimes we'll hang in there and they, you know, we just keep, you know, chipping away. And sometimes people are like, mm, yep, I'm not. Thought I was ready. Not ready. So it's like, Okay. Come back when you're ready. Like I said, I don't want, I never want coaching or training of any kind to be something that you do to people. I want them to participate in it. And so I think it's just, it's when it's more uncomfortable staying where you're at than it is, than the thought of doing something different. Mm -hmm. Okay. Fair enough. Thank you for sharing that. We appreciate that. Thank you. If you guys uh, want any further takeaways from Brooke, um, you can hit her up at what's the your URL or domain? www.crosleyinc.com. Uh, okay, so check out crosleyinc.com. We'll put it in the uh, comments or the description below. Thank you all for joining us on this episode of the Industrious Podcast uh, from wherever you guys get your podcast. And if you're watching on the Asasa YouTube channel, thank you for doing so. We will catch you guys next time. And don't forget, be industrious.